Section 44 of Junior Classics, Volume 5, Stories That Never Grow Old. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denise Nordell. Junior Classics, Volume 5, Stories That Never Grow Old. Edited by William Patton. Section 44. Ivanhoe. Retold by Sir Edward Sullivan. At the time when King Richard of the Lionheart was absent from his country, and a prisoner in the power of the perfidious and cruel Duke of Austria, there lived in England a high-born Saxon named Cedric. He was one of the few native princes who still continued to occupy the home of his fathers, but, like many more of the conquered English people, he had felt the tyranny and oppressive insolence of the haughty Norman barons. He was a man of great personal strength, possessed of a hasty and choleric temper, but he had shrewdly refrained from showing any open hostility to the successors of the conqueror, and so contrived to maintain his ancient state in his mansion at Rotherwood, while many others in a similar situation had been compelled to give up their homes and properties to the supporters of the Norman invader. He had an only son, Wilfred by name, with whom he had quarrelled, and the young man, finding himself disinherited, had adopted the profession of a champion of the cross, and sailed away to Palestine with the army of the crusaders. One evening, in the autumn of the year, Cedric was about to sit down to supper in the old hall at Rotherwood, when the blast of a horn was heard at his gate. In a few minutes after, a warder announced that Prior Aymer of Gervois, and the good knight Brian de Bois-Gilbert, commander of the valiant order of Knights Templars, with a small retinue, requested hospitality and lodging for the night, being on their way to a tournament, which was to be held not far from Ashby de la Zouche. "'Normans both,' muttered Cedric, "'but they are welcome to the hospitality of Rotherwood. Admit them.' The noble guests were ushered in shortly after, accompanied by their attendants, and Cedric bade them welcome to his hall. When the repast was about to begin, the steward, suddenly raising his wand, said aloud, "'Forbear, place for the Lady Rowena.' As he spoke, a side door at the upper end of the hall opened, and Rowena, the fair and stately ward of Cedric, followed by four female attendants, entered the apartment. All stood up to receive her, and, replying to their courtesy by a mute gesture of salutation, she moved gracefully forward to assume her place at the board, while the eyes of Brian de Bois-Gilbert seemed to be riveted by the striking beauty of her face. As the banquet went on, conversation was interrupted by the entrance of a page, who announced that there was a stranger at the gate, imploring admittance and hospitality. "'Admit him,' said Cedric, "'be he who or what he may.' The page retired, and, returning shortly after, whispered into the ear of his master, "'It is a Jew who calls himself Isaac of York.' "'Saint Mary,' said the abbot, crossing himself, "'an unbelieving Jew, and admitted into this presence?' "'A dog-Jew,' echoed the Templar, to approach a defender of the holy sepulchre peace my worthy guests said cedric my hospitality must not be bounded by your dislikes let him have a board and a morsel apart introduced with little ceremony and advancing with fear and hesitation and many a bow of deep humility a tall thin old man with an aquiline nose and piercing black eyes approached the lower end of the board cedric nodded coldly in answer to his repeated salutations and signed him to take a place at the lower end of the table where however no one offered to make room for him a pilgrim at length who sat by the chimney took compassion upon him and resigned his seat saying briefly old man my garments are dried my hunger is appeased thou art both wet and fasting and so saying he placed some food before the jew on the small table at which he himself supped and without waiting for the old man's thanks went to the other side of the hall 
as the feast proceeded a discussion arose amongst the banqueters as to which knights had borne them best in palestine among the champions of the cross de bois gilbert seemed to speak slightingly of the english warriors while giving the place of honor to the knights of the temple the english chivalry were second to none said the pilgrim who had listened to this conversation with marked impatience second to none i say who ever drew sword in defence of the holy land i say besides for i saw it that king richard himself and five of his knights held a tournament after the taking of st jean d'arc as challengers and proved themselves superior to all comers the swarthy countenance of the templar grew darker with a bitter scowl of rage as he listened to these words but his angry confusion became only more marked as the pilgrim went on to give the names of the english knights who had so distinguished themselves he paused as he came to the name of the sixth his name dwells not in my memory he said but he was a young knight of lesser renown and lower rank sir palmer said brian de bois gilbert scornfully this assumed forgetfulness after so much has been remembered comes too late to serve your purpose i will myself tell the name of the knight before whose lance i fell it was the knight of ivanhoe nor was there one of the sixth that for his years had more renown in arms yet this will i say and loudly that were he in england i would gladly meet him in this week's tournament mounted and armed as i now am if ivanhoe ever returns from palestine i will be his surety that he meets you replied the palmer not long after the grace cup was served round and the guests after making deep obeisance to their landlord and the lady rowena arose and retired with their attendants for the night as the palmer was being guided to his chamber he was met by the waiting-maid of rowena who informed him that her mistress desired to speak with him a short passage and an ascent of some steps led him to the lady's apartment as the pilgrim entered she ordered her attendants excepting only one to retire pilgrim said the lady after a moment's pause during which she seemed uncertain how to address him you this night mentioned a name i mean the name of ivanhoe i would gladly hear news of him where and in what condition did you leave him i know little of the knight of ivanhoe answered the palmer with a troubled voice he hath i believe surmounted the persecution of his enemies in palestine and is on the eve of returning to england the lady rowena sighed deeply would to god she then said he were here safely arrived and able to bear arms in the approaching tourney should all the stain of coningsburg obtain the prize ivanhoe is likely to hear evil tidings when he reaches england finding that there was no further information to be obtained about the knight in whose fate she seemed to take so deep an interest she bade her maidens to offer the sleeping-cup to the holy man and having presented him with a piece of gold wished him good-night as the palmer was being conducted to his room he inquired of his attendant where isaac the jew was sleeping and learned that he occupied the room next to his own as soon as it was dawn the pilgrim entered the small apartment where the jew was still asleep stirring him with his pilgrim's staff he told him that he should rise without delay and leave the mansion when the templar crossed the hall yesternight he continued i heard him speak to his mussulman slaves in the saracen language which i well understand and he charged them to watch the tourney of the jew to seize upon him when at a convenient distance from the mansion and to conduct him to the castle of philippe de malvasson or to that of reginald front de boeuf it is impossible to describe the extremity of terror which seized upon the jew at this information he knew only too well of the relentless persecution to which his kindred were subjected at this period and how upon the slightest and most unreasonable pretences their persons and their property were exposed to every turn of popular fury he rose accordingly in haste it was not however such an easy matter to make their exit from the mansion girth the swineherd a servant of much importance at that time when appealed to open the gate refused to let the visitors out at such an unseasonable hour 
nevertheless said the pilgrim you will not i think refuse me that favor so saying he whispered something in his ear in saxon girth started as if electrified and hastened at once to procure their mules for the travellers and to open the postern gate to let them out as the pilgrim mounted he reached his hand to girth who kissed it with the utmost possible veneration the two travellers were soon lost under the boughs of the forest path they continued their journey at great speed and the jew noticed with amazement that the palmer appeared to be familiar with every path and outlet of the wood when they had travelled some distance from rotherwood and were approaching the town of sheffield the jew expressed a wish to recompense the palmer for the interest he had taken in his affairs i desire no recompense answered the fellow-traveller yet i can tell thee something thou lackest said isaac and it may be supply it too thy wish even now is for a horse and armour the palmer started what fiend prompted that guess said he hastily under that palmer's gown replied the jew is hidden a knight's chain and spurs of gold i saw them as you stooped over my bed this morning without waiting to hear his companion's reply he wrote some words in hebrew on a piece of paper and handed it to the pilgrim saying in the town of leicester all men know the rich jew kirjath jirem of lombardy give him this scroll and he will give thee everything that can furnish thee forth for the tournament when it is over thou wilt return them safely but i hark thee good youth thrust thyself not too forward in this vain hurly-burly i speak not for endangering the steed and coat of armour but for the sake of thine own life and limbs gramercy for thy caution said the palmer smiling i will use thy courtesy frankly and it will go hard with me but i will requite it then they parted and took different roads for the town of sheffield when the morning of the tournament arrived the field of contest at ashby de la zouche presented a brilliant and romantic scene on the verge of a wood was an extensive meadow of the finest and most beautiful green turf surrounded on one side by the forest and fringed on the other by straggling oak trees the ground as if fashioned on purpose for the martial display which was intended sloped gradually down on all sides to a level bottom which was enclosed for the lists with strong palisades at each end of the enclosure two heralds were stationed and a strong body of men-at-arms for maintaining order and ascertaining the quality of the knights who proposed to engage in the contest on a platform beyond the southern entrance were pitched five magnificent pavilions adorned with pennons of russet and black the chosen colours of the five knights challengers that in the centre as the place of honour had been assigned to brian de bois gilbert whose renown in all games of chivalry had occasioned him to be adopted as the chief and leader of the challengers outside the lists were galleries spread with tapestry and carpets for the convenience of the ladies and nobles who were expected to attend the tournament another gallery raised higher than the rest and opposite to the spot where the shock of combat was to take place was decorated with much magnificence and graced by a sort of throne and canopy on which the royal arms were emblazoned squires pages and yeomen in rich liveries waited around the place of honour which was designed for prince john the brother of the absent king and his attendants opposite to this royal gallery was another even more gaily decorated reserved as the seat of honour for the queen of beauty and of love but who was to fill this place on the present occasion no one was prepared to guess gradually the galleries became filled with knights nobles and ladies while the lower space was crowded with yeomen and burghers amongst the latter was isaac the jew richly and magnificently dressed and accompanied by his daughter the beautiful rebecca whose exquisite form shown to advantage by a becoming eastern dress did not escape the quick eye of the prince himself as he rode by at the head of his numerous and gaily dressed train as the prince assumed his throne he gave signal to the heralds to proclaim the laws of the tournament which were briefly as follows 
first the five challengers were to undertake all comers secondly any knight might select any antagonist for combat by touching his shield if he did so with the reverse of his lance the trial of skill was made with what were called the arms of courtesy that is with lances at whose extremity a piece of round flat board was fixed so that no danger was encountered save from the shock of the horses and riders but if the shield was touched with the sharp end of the lance the knights were to fight as an actual battle thirdly the knight whom the prince should declare to be the victor was to receive as prize a war-horse of exquisite beauty and matchless strength and in addition to this reward he should have the peculiar honor of naming the queen of love and beauty when the proclamation was made the heralds retired and through the open barriers five knights advanced slowly into the arena approaching the challengers each touched slightly and with the reverse of his lance the shield of the antagonist to whom he wished to oppose himself and then retreated to the extremity of the lists where all remained drawn up in a line at the flourish of clarions and trumpets they started out against each other at full gallop and such was the superior skill or good fortune of the challengers that those opposed to bois gilbert malvasan and front de boeuf rolled on the ground the antagonist of grantsmanel broke his spear while the fifth knight alone maintained the honor of his party a second and third party of knights took the field and although they had various success yet upon the whole the advantage decidedly remained with the challengers not one of whom lost his seat a fourth combat followed and here too the challengers came off victorious prince john now began to talk of awarding the prize to brian de bois gilbert who had proved himself to be the best of the norman knights but his attention and that of the other spectators was arrested by the sound of a solitary trumpet which breathed a note of defiance from the northern end of the enclosure all eyes were turned to see the new champion and no sooner were the barriers opened than he paced into the lists his suit of armor was formed of steel richly inlaid with gold and the device on his shield was a young oak tree pulled up by the roots with the word disinherited inscribed upon it riding straight up to brian de bois gilbert he struck with the sharp end of his spear the shield of the victorious norman until it rang again all stood astonished at his presumption but none more than the redoubted knight whom he had thus defied to mortal combat when the two champions stood opposed to each other at the two extremities of the lists the public expectation was strained to the highest pitch the trumpets had no sooner given the signal than the combatants vanished from their posts with the speed of lightning and closed in the centre of the lists with the shock of a thunderbolt the lances burst into shivers both the knights being almost unhorsed retiring to the extremity of the lists each received a fresh lance from the attendants and again amidst a breathless silence they sprung from their stations and closed in the centre of the open space with the same speed the same dexterity the same violence but not the same equal fortune as before the norman spear striking the centre of his antagonist's shield went to shivers and the disinherited knight reeled in his saddle on the other hand the unknown champion had aimed his spear's point at the helmet of his opponent fair and true he hit the norman on the visor and saddle horse and man rolled on the ground under a cloud of dust we shall meet again i trust said the defeated champion as he extricated himself from the stirrups and fallen steed if we do not said the disinherited knight the fault will not be mine on foot or horseback with spear with axe or with sword i am alike ready to encounter thee without alighting from his horse the conqueror called for a bowl of wine and opening the beaver of his helmet announced that he quaffed it to all true english hearts and to the confusion of foreign tyrants he then desired a herald to proclaim that he was willing to encounter the rest of the challengers in the order in which they pleased to advance against him the gigantic front de boeuf armed in sable armor was the first who took the field but he was soon defeated 
sir philip malvoisin next advanced and against him the stranger was equally successful de grantsmanel soon after avowed himself vanquished and ralph de vipont summed up the list of the stranger's triumphs being hurled to the ground with such force that he was borne senseless from the lists the acclamations of thousands applauded the award of the prince announcing that day's honors to the disinherited knight the marshal of the field now approached the victor praying him to suffer his helmet to be unlaced ere they conducted him to receive the prize of the day's tourney from the hands of prince john but the disinherited knight with all courtesy declined their request the prince himself made many inquiries of those in his company about the unknown stranger but none could guess who he might be someone suggested that it might perhaps be king richard himself and john turned deadly pale as he heard the words for he had been plotting to seize the throne during his brother's absence the victorious knight received his prize speaking not a word in reply to the complimentary expressions of the prince which he only acknowledged with a low bow leaping into the saddle of the richly accoutred steed which had been presented to him he rode up to where the lady rowena was seated and heedless of the many norman beauties who graced the contest with their presence gracefully sinking the point of his lance he deposited the coronet which it supported at the feet of the fair saxon the trumpets instantly sounded while the heralds proclaimed the lady rowena the queen of beauty and of love for the ensuing day soon after the vast multitude had retired from the deserted field and lights began to glimmer through the twilight announcing the toil of the armorers which was to continue through the whole night in order to repair or alter the suits of armor to be used again on the morrow the next day dawned in unclouded splendor and at ten o'clock the whole plain was crowded with horsemen horsewomen and foot passengers hastening to the tournament and shortly after a grand flourish of trumpets announced the arrival of prince john and his gorgeous retinue about the same time arrived cedric the saxon with the lady rowena he had been accompanied on the previous day by another noble saxon alphastane lord of coningsburg a suitor for the hand of rowena and one who considered his union with that lady as a matter already fixed beyond doubt by the assent of cedric and her other friends rowena herself however had never given her consent to such an alliance and entertained but a poor opinion of her would-be lover whose pretensions for her hand she had received with marked disdain her saxon lover was not one of her party at the tourney on the second day he had observed with displeasure that rowena was selected by the victor on the preceding day as the object of that honor which it became his privilege to confer and Alphastane, confident of his own strength and skill had himself donned his armor with a determination to make his rival feel the weight of his battle-axe the combat on the second day of the tournament was on a much more extended scale than that of the previous one and when the signal for battle was given some fifty knights at the same moment charged wildly at each other in the lists the champions encountered each other with the utmost fury and with alternate success the tide of battle seeming to flow now toward the southern now toward the northern extremity of the lists as the one or the other party prevailed the clang of the blows and the shouts of the combatants mixed fearfully with the sound of the trumpets and drowned the groans of those who fell and lay rolling beneath the feet of the horses the splendid armor of the knights was now defaced with dust and blood and gave way at every stroke of the sword and battle-axe while the gay plumage shorn from the crests drifted upon the breeze like snowflakes in the thick of the press and turmoil of the fight bois gilbert and the disinherited knight repeatedly endeavored to single out each other spurred by mutual animosity such however was the crowd and confusion that during the earlier part of the conflict their efforts to meet were unavailing 
but when the field became thin by the numbers on either side who had yielded themselves vanquished or had been rendered incapable of continuing the strife the templar and the unknown knight at length encountered hand to hand with all the fury that mortal animosity joined to rivalry of honor could inspire such was the skill of each in parrying and striking that the spectators broke forth into a unanimous and involuntary shout of delight and admiration but at this moment the party of the disinherited knight had the worst front de boeuf and Alphestane, having defeated those immediately opposed to them were now free to come to the aid of their friend the templar and turning their horses at the same moment the two spurred against the disinherited knight this champion exposed as he was to the furious assaults of three opponents each of whom was almost a match for him single-handed must now have soon been overpowered when an unexpected incident changed the fortunes of the day amongst the ranks of the disinherited knight was a champion in black armor mounted on a black horse whose shield bore no device of any kind he had engaged with some few combatants and had easily defeated them during the earlier stages of the contest but seemed to take no further interest in the event of the fight acting the part rather of a spectator than of a party in the tournament the moment however he saw his leader so hard bestead he seemed to throw aside his apathy and setting spurs to his horse he came to his assistance like a thunderbolt exclaiming in a voice like a trumpet call disinherited to the rescue under the fury of his first stroke font de boeuf horse and all rolled stunned to the ground he then turned his steed upon Alphestane, and wrenching from the hand of the bulky saxon the battle-axe which he wielded bestowed him such a blow upon the crest that the lord of coningsburg also lay senseless on the field having achieved this double feat he returned calmly to the extremity of the lists leaving his leader to cope as best he could with brian de bois gilbert this was no longer matter of so much difficulty as formerly the templar's horse had bled much and gave way under the shock of the disinherited knight's charge as bois rolled on the field his antagonist sprung from horseback and was in the act of commanding his adversary to yield or die when prince john gave the signal that the conflict was at an end end of section forty four recording by denise nordell modesto california